What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Team Chat Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jarrett Wilson, joined by Rachel Mogan. A bonjourno. A bonjourno to you as well this fine Sunday morning. It is a fine Sunday morning. Nice and bright outside. It's the sun hot. is shining. It is hot already. We're very much in it's summer already here. already hot. Yeah. Yesterday we were out doing stuff, or Friday night even, we were out doing things in the yard and... And last weekend we were doing a project over the all, over the holiday oh, yeah, weekend. Oh yeah, fancy new patio, yeah, patio so in the fancy. Backyard. But it's uh, but that oh, it was so hot. It got real hot. It's real hot, real quick. Yeah, there's no chill in this summertime weather. Hot takes from Jared Wilson. Hot takes. But you know what other hot takes we're going to have on other topics of gaming here on Team Chat Podcast, a weekly video game show where we talk about games, the ones we love, the ones we hate, and everything in between. New episodes come out Tuesdays, 9 a.m. Central Time, and you can listen to those on podcast services around the World Wide Web, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and others. You can also watch a video version on YouTube. Check out teamchatpodcast.com slash where to listen for a full list of all the places that the show is available. You can also find us on social media, such as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Join our Discord server. Links are in the description below. And finally, we're a completely listener-supported show, so if you're really enjoying and digging what we're creating for you each and every week, head over to patreon.com slash teamchatpodcast, where it's for as little as a dollar a month. You can support the show, and in return, we'll give you a cool perk, like getting the episodes early before our general Tuesday release, and access to a private channel on our Discord server, The Rogues Gallery. Have to give a shout out to our newest patron, Joey. Thanks for supporting the show. We really appreciate it. And we love Thanks, all of our patrons. Before we get to our main topic, we have a little bit of news. We actually have quite a bit of news. Yeah, a we're, lot we're, of stuff happened. Too big. We'll go ahead and say it. Like, we're going to talk about it briefly. We're going to give you the, your releases. But we also have, like, we're going to give you the dates for E3. Because E3 starts this week. What? Starts on Friday. Yeah. And then also we have the big, uh, some big gaming reveals from the last week as of the Death Stranding trailer and Call of Duty Modern Warfare reveals. Yeah. So let's dig in. Let's jump into this news. It's then we'll jump into our main topic. A surprisingly packed week. So just in case you are not aware, here's the E3 schedule in its smallest crunch time I could manage. So EA is having their EA Play no conference basically June 7th through June 9th. So at any time you should be able to uh, tune into that. I don't know why you would want to, but it's there. Uh, Microsoft, they start on June 9th at 1 p.m. Pacific time, followed by Bethesda also on June 9th. Followed by Devolver Digital, also on June 9th. That one we are all really excited about now. Devolver's been because putting out of some your good games. Katana Zero review. Oh, well, thank oh, you. Very good, good job, sir. Um, most people won't care about this, but maybe Jarrett and, like, I don't know, five other people maximum would care that PC gaming <laughs> is, is doing their... I'm going to watch that one with rapt attention because I'm a new PC gamer. You're a new PC gamer. So that one starts Monday, June 10th at 10 a.m. Pacific time, followed by Ubisoft, Monday, June 10th at 1 p.m. Square Enix has their spot Monday, June 10th as well, 6 p.m. Pacific time. And then the only one that I actually care about, and Devolver Digital, Nintendo is on Tuesday, June 11th at 9 a.m. Pacific time. I'm going to call out of work. I'm going to be oh. there. I'm not really. But <laughs> I was like, okay. Wow. I Watch party. I won't be doing my job. Joey, don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> you know, me and Joey can watch it together. And yeah, then yeah, there you go. Have a little watch party. Both won't do our jobs. So that's that. the E3 schedule in a nutshell. And then in addition, we have some games coming out, I suppose. I don't remember what they are. While you're pulling that up. Yeah, while I'm so, pulling that up. Obviously, we're not we're not doing our E3 predictions episode and everything this year, but we will be doing a post-E3 <laughs> wrap-up. Obviously, we'll also both be tweeting throughout the whole 
event either from team chat or on our own personal accounts as well so if you really want to help us hear our thoughts and opinions on that follow us on twitter at team chat podcast and follow me at jt wilson and follow mogan at mogan atx and that way you can stay up to date with our e3 thoughts and opinions until nice we do music. our big wrap-up episode indeed all right so as of this episode's air date on june 4th the elder scrolls on online elsewhere yeah, it's like elsewhere. elsewhere? Okay, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> Elder Scrolls Online. Play. That's funny. Okay, I actually really kind of like that now. Uh, elsewhere comes out uh, for PS4, Xbox One, and PC June 4th. Also on June 4th, Persona Q2, New Cinema Labyrinth for the DS, the, the 3DS. Still making games for that. 3DS. I don't know what that is, but it sounds cool. It's a Persona game, I guess. Uh, also on June 4th, Trover Saves the Universe, PC only. Warhammer Chaos Bane mm. comes out June 4th. Fourth as well for PS4, Xbox Man, I One. I swear that there's a new Warhammer game like every two months. You can get into Warhammer now. I know. I, I think it's like best on PC, right? I mean, it's yeah, yeah, it definitely is. This is one of those things. But I gotta pick and choose. There's too many options now available. So. I'm, I'm I'm drowning out of the choice of options. Yeah, and then there's a weird lull between June 4th and June 18th where nothing comes out. So we're okay. just gonna leave that as temporary dead space. Boom! There you go. And that's everything out now and coming soon. So mostly just out now. Those were all on June fourth. Yeah, that was a lot. That just was a pretty kidding. good list. Good job. Summer. It's kicking up. Everybody's. It's too hot outside. Everybody's got to stay inside, play some games. You know, it's, it's going to be a great time. Indeed. So, Death Stranding. We got a new trailer. An almost nine minute long trailer. They revealed the release date of November eighth of this year. Yeah. Which was surprising. Actually I have coming to out say. this year, Death Stranding is going to beat The Last of Us too. Oh, it definitely is. It definitely is. And that's what I was, I, I believe Jason Schreier from Kotaku, he tweeted out some things that he's started hearing he, that he, before the trailer officially dropped, he was thinking that, he put out that he was thinking that Death Stranding was going to be this year and Tilu was getting pump, uh, bumped. And he did say that apparently it was in the plan for Tilu to be late 2019. And then was going, and then eventually they did push it. So, so far, I believe my I believe my prediction of early twenty twenty is still ringing true. So, what I'm, did I say? Twenty twenty eight. Yeah, just yeah, never probably. coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but a death stranding. Do you still have any idea what's going on? So, I mean, we actually have more details. That's the thing. I feel like I finally now have more of an idea of what's going on than ever before. But so, I still totally don't really know what's going on than ever before. I don't care that I don't know what's going on in terms of the story. My biggest concern had always been that I could not figure out for the life of me what the gameplay was going to be like. Right. Which and that's showed. obviously, yeah, and it finally showed more of the gameplay. And now, finally, I'm actually interested. And I'm actually like, okay, something might actually be going on here that looks like it might be promising. Yeah. So I will say that all of the previous Death Stranding stuff, I've been like, whatever, ignore, don't really care. Now I'm finally like, okay, I've been super right. excited, or not super excited, I've been super interested is a better way to put it, about Death Stranding just because I have, I have been so enamored by the mystery that surrounds the game it of what its story is going to be like. It is doing an amazing job of making itself a cult classic before the game has even come out right. by mythologizing itself. Oh yeah, and it's... Now, I will say, I did roll my eyes pretty hard, though, when you find out the main character, Norman Reedus' character's name is Sam Bridges, and the like underlying theme of the game oh, is, like, is connecting, connecting humankind and yeah. building, even in, like, the official plot synopsis thing, like, building, in quotes, bridges, and I was like, okay, now, come on. That's a little on come the on. nose, A little Kojima. on the nose, You could have done a little better than that. You so. could have called him, like, Sam Links. <laughs> 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 but still, but that's what I mean. Like, I'm, I, we have this idea better. It looks. We, I was actually watching the trailer again with my buddy Michael this morning, and it, and it was just, and we were both like, 
he said it was like this seems to be five games in one. Like he's he's kind of more like I don't know what's going on. And and I was kind of like I still don't totally understand how this is all gonna bridge together. But <laughs> I am still very interested in it. But the one thing I will say, you know, the question that I posed to him is like, are people gonna love this because it's Kojima? Or will they be able to acknowledge if it does come out and it is like a rambling mess of what is going on, that it's actually a rambling mess of what is going on? I mean, I feel like there's always going to be those people who are in like the diehard fan camp Mm -hmm. and like no matter what, they're not going to be able to acknowledge criticism to its full extent. But that's all just maybes at this point. It might come out and be the greatest game of all time. We straight up don't know. I honestly... Is why I'm excited to play it because I think it could be that thing. It, well, it, I don't. I don't, I don't think know it's if it's going to be that be, good. I'm, I don't think it's going to be like the greatest, but I really do think it has this potential to be in really good game that I'm right. really going to love. That's going to come out of left field to be this thing of like I have no idea what's going on. I don't understand it. But then as you play it and the lever, and the layers become revealed beneath, that I'm going to be like, okay, this is good. So we this haven't actually really said good. anything about what happens in the trailer. If you haven't seen it yet, you can go watch Again, it on YouTube. Again, it's nine YouTube. minutes. It's not going to minutes the whole thing. long. There's all kinds of analysis videos out there. Yeah. But just to like very very briefly recap what happens, it opens with the classic baby in the esophagus, and you're like, cool, hey baby, and then this time you also go into the baby's mouth yeah. for more trailer, I guess. And it's like, cool, whatever. Again, but it's those layers you got to peel back. We have learned a lot more about the babies in question, which actually I was talking to uh, Cody and Candace the other night about what the babies might actually be. And mm-hmm. there's some interesting theories out there. Uh, but I think that in the, the trailer, trailer are... oh, go ahead, go ahead. I think that the trailer pretty much um, summarizes that the babies hook into these tanks that hook onto, at least in this case, Sam's suit. And I think the baby serves as some sort of a bridge. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. They do call them bridge babies. Yeah. That's not even a joke. Shame on me for trying to make a joke But it seems that it. His, his corporation, Sam Bridges Corporation, is called Bridges, so maybe he like runs some sort of research development thing that like yeah. is based around these babies, so maybe calling them bridge babies is appropriate. So bridge babies, I also think it's because they bridge the divide between the hum- the normal human world and whatever this other world is where like yeah. all of these mysterious creatures come from that are, I gather, the what do they call them? BTs? BTs. These BTs, they come from this other world of like black goop and it's like not really reality. Death, like the world yeah, of it looks the like the underworld. So apparently, it says in the trailer something about people bound to Hades. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, which uh, I'm so assuming is that... Mads Mikkelsen's character, Cliff. You think so? You think he's Hades? I don't think he's Hades. Oh. I think he's bound to Hades. Oh, like he's like, okay, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. I was like, really? Okay, we're going just right there. Anyway, so I think that the bridge I mean, maybe babies are like the literal physical key of getting to the underworld. Mm. I think that's why they call them bridge babies. So it does show the gameplay. Like it shows you putting up a really long ladder and climbing Fortnite it. style. Yeah, and then, uh, <laughs> and then it shows you like uh, climbing and scaling down cliff walls. Uh, it does Riding show a some sweet motorcycle, some combat with a little bit of game uh, gunplay. Most of it, though, kind of seems to be melee. I feel like didn't I see somewhere in there that they that they made the announcement that the more people you kill, kind of affects the outcome thing. Like really? you're kind of not really supposed to probably falling in line with Metal Gear Solid influences of it is a more stealth based things and you get better scores for being stealth. So I'm wondering if they're still kind of keeping that aspect in this. Well, so there were definitely those stealth elements that we saw in the brief gameplay uh, mm-hmm. moments when those guys in like the suit showed up and they were trying to catch Sam yeah. and it showed him crouching in the long grass and trying to get around right. them. So I think the goal is to primarily go undetected whenever yes. danger approaches. It did the same thing when the BTs were around and Sam was crouching, trying to move very slowly and quietly they noticed him anyways which i don't know if that was on purpose or not but 
I, I think the point is going to be mostly stealth right. with violence being a last ditch effort. Nice. And it showed him just smacking the guy in the face with, with a, a briefcase. briefcase. Yeah. That so was again, like cool. Like, I mean, unless you're hitting really hard, you're not probably not going to kill somebody. That with a looked briefcase. like a really heavy briefcase. That's true. Did you see it? It was like made of metal. It probably had some like samples of rocks and stuff like that that he needs from his travels for scavenging. So yeah, it probably had some heft to it. So that guy's dead. He's dead. <laughs> Skull's caved in. Skull is caved in. <laughs> so. Obviously, we have now no. We can look forward to November eighth. Maybe we'll get more info before then. There, I'm, I'm assuming. Well, no, it's PS4, so they won't be at. So they won't be at E3. They'll be at whatever Sony's big sub yeah, is. That's what they'll have. So, which is really weird going into E3 and not having Sony stuff to look forward to. Which because Sony is the one press conference that I really look forward to to see what they're coming out with the exclusives and everything like that. Like my one big E3 prediction would be that we get an announcement for like Horizon t- Zero Dawn 2, but we're not going to get that at E3, so I can't make that prediction. Apparently but, not. Know, apparently Unless not. it's a Microsoft exclusive. <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Gorilla just, Isn't that just a good switches joke? sides and goes to Microsoft. It's like, see you later, Sony. Oh, Thanks for helping funny. us out. <laughs> Uh, but so the other big thing we want to talk about was the announcement of Call of Duty Modern Warfare coming out October 25th of this year. Infinity Ward is behind this one development. And of course, everybody was like, Modern Warfare, we've had this game before. It came out in 2007. It's called Modern Warfare, Call of Duty Modern Warfare. But the thing about this now that, that Infinity Ward and Activision has come out and saying is that it's not a sequel as much as it is a reboot retelling of Modern Warfare. Modern Warfare. Which is why I'm calling it, and I already made the joke earlier, so it's okay if you don't laugh, laugh Jared, okay, but I'm, um, I'm going to call it Modern Warfare, excuse me, Contemporary Warfare. Call of Duty Contemporary Warfare. Okay, it's it's going to have its own wing and its own little museum. <laughs> it's going to be totally separate stuff. People are going to be like, what's the difference between modern and contemporary cultural warfare? warfare? It's cultural. <laughs> but so it does introduce that the the one of the big characters from the Modern Warfare series Captain Price is returning. Uh, they'll be, and so this one does seem though that they, from all accounts that they put out, it is going to have a. I saw. Oh, I think I saved it actually well, on my Reddit so because I wanted a, to read this. Because, if it's a reboot, why wouldn't he be back? Well, because they could have just done it with new characters completely. Oh. But so they're they're basically they said Modern Warfare for what it was held up for the time it was made. But now you could say warfare is different from what it was 12 years ago, which, I mean, is true. But, I mean, still, war is all pretty terrible. Um, And so they wanted to do this. From what – they wanted to retell the story again. From what I've read, though, it apparently seems that it's going to be pretty gritty, pretty – like it's going to – even from what Activision has said, it's going to focus more on exploring – gray morally gray characters morally gray environments so it's not going to be these are the good guys these are the bad guys it's also going to return to the older style in the call of duty because like in call of duty 2 you played as british you would play as american and even uh russian soldiers in this one you will be able to play as british special forces american soldiers and even like rebel or the insurgents or whatever your the enemy groups that you're fighting against so it is returning to this multifaceted viewpoint view of Call of Duty games, which they haven't really done much recently. Uh, so this is what I wanted to say. I wanted to read Driftor on Twitter. He says, Call of Duty Modern Warfare makes Modern Warfare 2's No Russian, which is the level where they go through and shoot up the airport. from Because they've already showed off stuff from you know Behind right. Closed Doors, Judges Week at E3 and all this stuff. Uh, no, So he says, I'm deadly serious. He says, makes Modern Warfare 2's No Russian look like a Pixar film. I'm deadly serious when I say, say that I was, he says, saw but I'm assuming he meant say when I saw that I was when I say that I was shocked by the level of realistic violence. We'll be surprised if this game gets M instead of AO. Good luck bringing it to New Zealand, Denmark, or other countries. So it's apparently pretty brutal. 
is what it sounds like. And so then my question and another Polygon actually had a really good article on this too that was that made me think about this more is that this disconnect somewhat in Call of Duty to what the message it's trying to put up because it's saying it's trying to present this realistic vision of war, but this the article that this the that this right the point this writer was making, God, I can't talk this yeah. is that that's all well and good if you're trying to make this really grounded war story and about the like the realistic and harshness and, and terribleness of war. And that's good. We need that in video games. Like we need that viewpoint like we get in movies. But when you compare it to what Call of Duty is more now at this point known for, which is its multiplayer, which is its over the top action of that, pairing the two together feels very makes that that empty. seem empty. And so I'm I'm interested to see – well, as we move on, I'll find that article so I can share that. But still, it, it, it was like very good point. So I'm very curious to see where they bounce. I'm still very excited for this game because Modern Warfare is my, the, is my favorite of the Call of Duty series. So I'm very excited to see this being rebooted. Captain Price is such a great character. I'm anxious to return and be in his boots again. And so it, like, I'm really looking forward to the game. I'm curious to see how they – handle all this though because they want to bring this gravitas to to the game and to the story but can they do that well without it seeming cheap see what's that great game that you played that's like um the story of the french soldier and like his family and he oh gets yes yes, something yes. With um, a shovel i want to say like stars valiant hearts valiant hearts yes. see i feel like those are the kinds of stories and games that tell those more compassionate war stories a bit better. I would agree. Because they don't have this really over-the-top... I mean, it is glorified violence. Like, there's nothing that's not being... They always portray it as being cool. Mm -hmm. Like, it's never portrayed as definitively a bad thing. It's like, oh, hey, look at how many ways you can kill people. It's like, okay, I guess that matches really well with your compassionate storytelling. Except it doesn't. So, Valiant Hearts, if you want to... Really good war story that actually has heart to it. Uh, go for that one. Otherwise, Call of Duty, modern contemporary warfare. Excuse me. <laughs> okay, I am trying to see if I can find this this thing. Uh, where did it go? Or maybe even that new game, um, A Plague Tale. That seems to be a really... I am really into yeah. Plague Tale. I want to I play that one. I had no idea that it was such a beautiful game. Like, I watched some of the oh, gameplay yeah. for it's it, great. and I was like, oh my god, this is like really, really pretty. Yeah. It looks it looks really good. Okay, I'm gonna have to hunt for that polygon thing while we're probably while we're jumping into the next uh, into the as you're introducing the next topic. I did want to say though the other thing that got me really excited and I saw I saw it this morning before we recorded Sarah Shackner's doing the soundtrack for Call of Duty Modern Warfare. So oh really? Super excited for awesome. that. She is excellent. I'm so excited. That's pretty so, cool. Yeah, very right. cool stuff. So the main topic that we want to talk about today is we both played it because it was a free game on our on the. Uh, the PS Plus lineup for and this month. And it had been on my list of need to play for a long time. It was not on my list. And it was due to your prompting being like, hey, we need to give this game a shot. It's free. Because you played it. You're like, this is the perfect time. It's free. It's short. I've heard a lot about this. Let's play this game. And so we wanted to do a review of What Remains of Edith Finch by uh, Giant Sparrow. It came out in 2017. It was Giant Sparrow's second game. Their first game had co- was The Unfinished Swan, which I played which a little bit. Which you played and I haven't played. We, I think I'd showed you before. And it's a very interesting game in how it's like you start off literally with a blank white screen and you like throw paint around and to slowly reveal your environment and your direction where you should go. But it's just it's black very, paint, right? Yeah, some black so paint. So it's very like a visually Monochrome and very Yeah. And... Again, though, but how you can see the mechanics of how you explore that world translates over into what into what they did with Edith Finch. So, let's give a brief. If you would like to give a brief summary of the game before, yes. and again, per our normal reviews, we're gonna kind of keep it light. But again, this game is shorter. It's an independent game. I think it maybe took us three hours. 
to play through all the way. So it's I very short. So a little bit, and it still only took me four. So yeah. it's very short. It's you very short game. Play it in so, one night. Therefore, there's not a whole lot that we can talk about without getting too heavy. We'll start starting to reveal story stuff. So we'll start off spoiler free. We'll let you know before we jump into the spoilers. So while I look for this Polygon article because I do want to find it before we before I forget. Can you give us a brief synopsis of, of what, what what remains of Edith Finch Naturally, is all about? Naturally, my lord. So basically, uh, what remains of Edith Finch could be most accurately described as a walking simulator game. Now, anybody that's heard me talk about walking sims knows that I don't like that title because it's usually used with a very uh, derogative kind of way to say, oh, it's just a walking sim. And it's like, you dumb bastard. Having not played it. I very much started playing. I was like, oh, I bet this is what Firewatch is like. It is, actually. So it's very similar to what um, Firewatch would be. And at least in tone at first, it is very similar to Gone Home. So having Mm. more recently played Gone Home as well, I was like, wow, I'm getting some big Gone Home vibes. So it's not quite like Firewatch in its tone. It is very much like Gone Home in its tone. So uh, you start the game from the first-person perspective of an unnamed character. You're not really sure who who you are. Uh, all you could really see of yourself are your hands and you have like a cast on one hand and a journal in both of them. Right. You're on the back of a boat over what you later learn is Orcas Island area of the Pacific Northwest, which I believe is a real area. Like Orcas Island, that's a real place off the coast of Washington. Right? Also, all these developers love in the Pacific Northwest. They all do. So they are. They look out their window and they're like, where are we going to base our next game? No, oh, okay, right here. We're, we're, we're. <laughs> this world we know and love. <coughs> I guess they just pick wherever they have the free and most um, abundant source material. (laughs) They're like, what kind of plants can we draw? These ones right here. Uh, So anyways, you start out as this unnamed character. You open up this journal and see that it has a not super filled in, really all it has are names and dates, uh, family tree. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of this blank family tree with these names and dates on it. And you're like, okay, I guess I'm learning about myself. And then the narration begins. And the narrator of the story is Edith Finch Jr. So there is an Edith Edith Finch Sr., but you are Edie, a.k.a. Edith Finch Jr. Um, And you are basically narrating the story of your family. And the idea is that the Finches... Came to the Pacific Northwest from what, Sweden? Norway or Sweden. It's Finland, Norway, or Sweden. Not going to lie, I can't remember which one. Pretty sure it's... Pretty sure it's Norway. You think it's Norway? Pretty sure. Okay, we'll just say it's Norway for the sake of it. Um, So your great-grandfather, or whoever it is, Sven Finch, I guess. Odin. Odin Finch, Odin you're Finch. right, his name is Sven Odin is the, Finch. Is He's the next one, next down. one down. So Odin Finch uh, brought his family over from Norway to Orcas Island in a very unusual manner. Um, it seems that the Finch family, even in the old country, they call it, uh, were known for being plagued by bad luck. Yeah, from Norway. So in an effort to basically outrun their bad luck, Odin, Odin uh, Finch was like, okay, I'm just going to bring my entire family and our literal physical castle of a house to Norway. So there are these really funny scenes. Washington. Yes, I'm sorry. Which also, can we talk about that for a second and how ridiculous that is? So the scene is like... I was first like, oh, they're just just jumping across. No, (coughs) they're going from Norway, hauling a house, which is in Europe, all the way, however they chose to do it, 
to Washington. I like, assume that seems they had backwards. sled dogs cause, like tow it across the North Pole until they got to, Who I knows? guess, Canada. They didn't, go, they didn't go into that much. They didn't go into detail on it. But the images that you get are of a boat, like a literal boat, with an entire intact house just kind of strapped onto it. So that was Odin's uh, goal, was to get his entire house to Washington. It didn't quite work out that way. Really close to the shore, they hit a storm. Most of the house was drowned in the waters, along with almost like all the crew. Odin himself drowned in the process. But his daughter, Edith, uh, and his, I guess, son-in-law, Sven? Yeah, Sven Sven. Sven was Edith's So Edith Sr. and Sven and their young daughter, Molly, all survived, and they had enough of the house's bricks to rebuild the original fireplace in the new home. So Edith Sr., Sven, and Molly all made it to the new world. They begin anew. They seem to be adapting pretty well, and I guess in the timeline, it would be like, what, early 1900s when they get there when they get there i'm trying to think i think yeah like i think 1920s yeah, maybe like, like 1930s it would have been the 20s or 30s based on their dress right so it's kind of early early 20th century thereabouts and they're attempting to rebuild a new life but and this is something that we can talk about a little bit later a well, quick interjection because i did find that article before we get oh, too farther into this stuff. So the article, I'm just telling you this for you, your own reading. I, it was a really great article, and it really explains kind of what the issues that I was bringing up and made me think more deeply about this, other than just like, oh, I'm excited. It's going to be Modern Warfare, and it's going to be gritty. Oh. So I think you should go back and, and look at this. Call of Duty Modern Warfare is a realistic reboot designed to make you un- uncom- feel uncomfortable by Michael McWhorter on Polygon. So go read that. It was an incredible article. Back to Edith Finch. Um, so, but also, though, you kind of were expected something crazy to happen or not crazy but this to be kind of odd because you walk up because before you even get the background i feel like of the house of odin bringing the house over the ocean you see the house the current the finch residence and, and it's, it's a crazy. weird house it's like all built up it's multi-stories looks very structurally unsound it does. i must say it is i don't not- care how crazy craftsmen builders these this family is it looks unsound. If they were on that game, Home Improvement, what what's it called? Like Home Simulator? Oh, House Flipper? House Flipper. If they were on House Flipper, you would not be able to flip that house. No. No, it, like, no one else would buy this house. No. Uh, so the house itself, as Jarrett said, is like this rambling structure of what was an original, kind of, I guess, Victorian-style home mm-hmm. with a lot of crazy attachments just built right on top of it, ending in one like big main spire kind of off to the side, very asymmetrically placed. So when Edith Jr. is narrating the beginning of the story and she's talking, she's explaining to someone how her mother died. She was the last of the Finch clan, uh, Edith Jr. was. So she was like, okay, I finally have to go home. I finally have to go back to the house because all of my family is dead. I have to learn the secrets of my family's past and the only way that I can do that is if I go home. Because it sounds like her mother kept the the family history hidden from her very strongly. They, it even is implied early game that they left in a hurry. Yes. I, I want to say like it's one of the first times once you walk into the house Edith makes the note of it looks like an, explo- an explosion went off that only killed the humans yeah. inside the house. So it's like so she is obviously very puzzled and doesn't understand what's <laughs> happening, what's going on why, why this her family has this 
curse? Dark cur- past or, yeah. or curse or what, what's happening? And so she's gone back to the house to explore this. Exactly. So uh, basically the game centers around that. You're walking through your family home that you haven't been back to since you were a child. Mm-hmm. And as you're walking through the house, there are rooms for each individual character because I guess the Finch family did not have any... Uh, inkling to just repurpose rooms once somebody had been done occupying them they kept every single person's room over the family tree uh, preserved and what you're finding as you're walking through the house which is a really nice creepy touch is that each of the rooms has been sealed Mm -hmm. shut with like the foam and everything they've got big locks over the doors but each of them has a peephole that you can basically use to get a bird's eye view into each room Uh, and eventually you do learn how to access all of the rooms but basically you're going through these rooms and finding some sort of window to the past for each individual character in a lot of cases that comes in the form of books journals letters some sort of written format which is an account usually from a first person perspective of what happened in that individual character's past and eventually what led to their death in most cases and that is to me where I feel like the game really came to, to life. life. It and does like, and like really, in a big way. And really shines because if it really continued with you just walking from place to place, picking up and reading something or having Edith Jr. explain things to you, I think this game would have like I would have lost interest very quickly. Oh, yeah. But the but what they did though is each family member's story, and you can kind of track the all the family members in the in your journal, is it you like you said it takes a first person perspective and each one has a different not gameplay mechanic but a different a different a new What's the word I'm looking for? A, style. a new style. Thank they you. They all have a different style, and they are extremely interactive in how they immerse you in each individual character's story. So this is really kind of where we're going to have to start talking about story yeah. elements. So if you don't want to know what happens in Edith Finch, you can t- tune out now. Skip to the end. We'll but, do a wrap up. You know, check the timestamps in the description. We'll have a we'll have it stamped where we're done with spoilers and giving like our final wrap up. I will say that I don't think either of us can individually tell with enough detail what it's like to play Edith Finch. No. So even if you listen to us explain what happens, do still please please play it. I and honestly, like-, like we could tell spoiler and we could talk about like what happened and like give the details of what happened but i think save for like maybe the one last story twist at the very end i think you could still very easily play and enjoy you can i mean without even knowing what happens it's unique enough that even if you do know what's coming down the line you're still going to get a lot out of it i think uh so one of the very first stories that you encounter is the story of molly Mm -hmm. so she is the only child um uh of sven and edith senior that made it to the new world but as you uh, learn from her timeline, she did not make it out of childhood. Ten, I believe. Yeah, she made it to ten. So the Which when you're looking at the dates on, on the journal, you're like, good lord. Like, this a is lot sad. of them die is this very young. Depressing? Yeah. So it kind of walks that line of being both depressing and not depressing, and also gothic, but not really gothic. And also depressing, but it almost, to me, like started becoming almost a dark humor to yeah. the whole thing. The, the game definitely has these parts that are almost humorous and you're like, actually, this is a really good example. The, the Molly the example is one. actually perfect. So the yeah. Molly story is hysterical and kind of grotesque and visceral all at the same time. And I also have to say, I didn't, just because I was dumb, didn't realize what happened. Oh, 
And so for us, so maybe let's let's go through her story. Let's use her story as a kind of overarching right. example. So Molly's story is the first one, and it's a fantastic window into what the rest of the game will be. So you get into Molly's room. You're looking at her stuff. Uh, it's like a time capsule into the past, and then you find her journal. And you begin to read her journal, and you first person go into the view of Molly as her own self as a child. So her story is she wakes up one night. She had gotten into trouble, I guess, so her mom sent her to bed without dinner. Her mother is. Edith. Her mother is right. Edith Senior. Got to so, keep the, there's a lot of names. Yeah. So she wakes up. She's starving. She's so hungry. So she's like, "Mom, can I come out now?" And her mom is like, "No, it's too late. Go to bed." So she's like, "Man, what do I have in my room that I can eat?" She eats her gerbils food, which is just a carrot, by the right. way. She eats her gerbils food. She's all out of Halloween candy. She eats an entire tube of toothpaste. She yeah. eats the holly berries off of a bough of holly on her window. And she's still so hungry. She even looks into her fish's bowl. And like, if you look at the fish, she's like, I thought about it. And yeah. you're like looking at your goldfish. The fish is like swimming. I was like, hey, and he's no. like, please don't eat me. And I was like, no, goldfishy. <laughs> so you don't eat your goldfish, but you thought about it. Did. And then at a certain point, Molly hears a peep peep at the window and sees a bluebird outside. And she's like, oh, man, I want to eat that bird. And it's like, oh, my God, this is going down a dark alley. Yeah. So she opens up the window, and she's pretty high up. She's on, like, third story or something mm-hmm. of a really big house on a sheer cliff face, by the way. So they are very much in a precarious position. So when she opens up the window, it's kind of locked on a chain, so she can't quite get it all the way open. But Smart. all of a sudden... locking a 10-year-old child's window. But all of a sudden, you get this first example of this magical influence of the game or, like, this otherworldly, dreamlike quality where, mm-hmm. with no explanation, all of a sudden, Molly just becomes a cat so she is a cat and then you're a cat jumping around the trees outside trying to get a hold of this bird but molly is still narrating the whole time she's like and then i was a cat she knows what she was she knows what What she she is and she knows what's going on so she's chasing this mama bird trying to get it trying to get it and then finally you do catch the mama bird and she eats it Mm -hmm. right then and there and then in the air wait is this because you jump you jump and tackle the cat is to tackle the bird and you fall out of the tree and as she's falling out of the tree she becomes an owl yes so then she's a great barn owl and she's flying over snowy plains and that was a really cool moment. that was cool so when you're flying over these plains you're looking out for more food because molly is still hungry and you hear and then eventually see baby rabbits and so you're like oh i'm gonna swoop down and get those rabbits so in one of the few actual gameplay elements of it you have to kind of line yourself up with the bunnies and then swoop down and grab them and you like very viscerally eat, eat them. them i was surprised you, like, there's bone crunching there's like this chomping noise you're seeing the rabbit like disappear into your gullet yeah, oh, she's I was like, like what? In one gulp i choked him down it was bones weird and all it was weird i didn't expect it and then you do it again you go out and get a mama rabbit after that and then once you're done very graphically eating the mama rabbit you're still hungry and you turn into a shark yeah. a great white shark and this is like one of the funniest parts of the game i laughed out loud so you're this big shark but you're over land yeah. so you kind of fall out of a tree and like kind of onto this hill and you just roll down the it looks hill. like one of those games where the the like physics simulator games where you can just throw whatever objects or things it into does. it and, it's hilarious. and see how the physics react and that's basically what this part was so as the shark before you get into the water all you can really kind of do is flop yourself around so yeah. you flop yourself down this 
hill across a highway and then you finally land in the ocean and then as the shark you swim around and you find a seal and you eat the seal Mm -hmm. and then after you're done eating the seal you're still hungry so then you finally become an octopus and you get up onto this ship and you find these sailors on the ship like actual humans and you're like and i was so hungry and you eat all the sailors on board like whole as the octopus as molly as the octopus and once you're done eating all of the sailors you go back into the ocean you're still so hungry and the octopus eventually finds its way into a drainage pipe i guess Mm -hmm. and like goes up through the pipes looking for more food eventually you come out as the octopus you come out of the toilet in Molly's own bedroom. And even though you are Molly, you're in her bedroom, you like kind of shuffle under her bed, and then suddenly the view changes, and you're Molly as a little girl again in her bed, but she's like, I know it's going to eat me. Yeah. I know it's under the bed. So even though you were the monster, you're about to basically eat yourself is what you think is about to happen. And all you know from the parents' perspective is that Molly disappeared, like the house swallowed her whole so it's like, wow, what did actually happen to Molly? So this is the thing where I couldn't, I, and I honestly, because this happened and I was like, what is happening in this game? Because this is when it, it took the turn for me where I thought it was going to be this more just like an exploration of your family and your past. But now it's kind of throwing into this almost like otherworldly magical or like stuff into it. And I was like, what is happening? Only when yeah. I read the uh, synopsis after I had completed the game and just to like help break it down and everything a little bit more. I read that it was the holly berries that poisoned Molly. Oh. So, uh, but so again, so I guess it kind of explains some of these things. And that's, I guess, maybe part of the magic, the, the mystery of this game is that these weird, somewhat magical things, like in Molly's case, happened, but they all, as you go through the game, like figure out how they kind of were explained or could be explained real world, I guess. Because, yeah. like, again, so I get it. I was like, in my head, the gerbil's food or the whole tube of toothpaste would have been what it would have done poor Molly in. But no, apparently it's the holly berries. So maybe, yeah. So I can't figure out if she like poisoned herself with those and that killed her or if she, yeah, she like escaped out the house or. I, so I. Because I thought it was Edith's brother, Milton, that just disappeared that they thought the house. It is. Oh, yeah. Maybe I Edith got them. Junior's brother. Maybe I got them confused. So Edith Jr.'s brother, Milton, did disappear. And he just got, you find missing posters of him everywhere. Because right. for him, they have no idea what happened to him. But that's skipping ahead. Right. Because I thought, yeah, 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 a little bit. Okay, we're getting all confused. But that's that's digging a little too too deep into what we're wanting to do. But still, so yeah, so that's a, a perfect example of these fantastical adventures you kind of go through and they're all very short like molly's story was honestly one of the longer yeah hers was pretty long a couple of the other siblings are like your of your ancestors and stuff they were very quick stories hers probably took like what five to ten minutes something like that yeah. whereas if some others would be you basically just read and hear the story some you have a brief moment of trying to of, of doing some kind of action or figuring out some words but it doesn't but again they're very short and very quick so again the, you start going through this and you're like oh this game's going to be done pretty fast yeah so what would be the thing about it then that you think really caught you with this one and, and made because when you presented that we do this one is because you had played the you'd played a little bit of it when the game was first released on the ps plus but you likened it a lot to kind of how it compared with what we were doing with life is strange too right now like in or you saw similarities i wanted to say or, oh, no, or that more it was that so you were saying better. it was better yeah and no, how i was I able didn't... to tell a story more controlled but it was the combination of the two and then i saw the kind of how you go around the rooms and explore is very similar to a lot of the actions you take place in, in life is strange 
and kind of how you're walking around rooms, you're exploring things. And I liked, though, the difference, though, with Edith Finch as opposed to Life is Strange is that Life is Strange, I feel like it gives you a lot of things to look at and you don't know which ones are important or which ones are going to be things that you can save for later, especially if you're looking for the collectibles for trophies. Whereas this one, it only had like three, four things tops per room that you had to look at. It was all very easily identifiable. Yeah, like there would be little tiny white spots mm-hmm. like everywhere in a room where you were like, okay, that's something I need to interact with. Right. So the game does do a good job of streamlining the process, which I think helps the narration. And also, though, in those nice gameplay mechanic touch is that they do make – you don't just hit the select button to activate that thing when you find it. You have to hold like R1 on play, PS4, what we were playing on. You had to hold R1, which then usually made Edith grab the object. And then say if it's a book, you had to move the control yeah. sticks – the left one to the left, the right one to the right, so to be an opening motion, and she opens the book. So I love that they really added in those little touches to make even those minute details of gameplay give it a little bit more depth. And did you notice that um, with who is it, which is the kid that wanted to go to space? Calvin. Calvin. Is that his name? So with Calvin, Calvin died by flinging himself into the sea, apparently. Again, this is where I bring up the house. Uh, Like, I don't think these people were very smart. (coughs) They built a swing for children overlooking a huge cliff that drops into the sea. Now, to be fair, it was kind of Calvin's own fault because he wanted to go all the way around. But you should take into account... he wanted to be able to go to space. Kids are nuts. They don't know what they're doing. But, so did you notice that as you're Calvin, and as you're pumping your legs on the swing, you can actually do them both separately. Right, and you don't go as fast or as hard. And you don't go um, in the right direction if you don't do them both at the same time. I was like, that's a nice touch. I really like that. And that's what I meant when I said earlier about how the stories are what really bring the game to life. And, and I think that's that was the main goal, obviously. But if you were just walking around the house and reading these things, this would be a very boring game. But the way that they change up each and every story to make it different and to really give each one a new little puzzle that you have to figure out on the best way to accomplish a story and make your way through the story is what makes this game engaging and fun and keeping you through the whole thing. And before we move on to kind of some of the broader themes of what I think the game is dealing with. Which is what I really want to talk to you a lot about. I do want to highlight what I thought was arguably the best um, and most interesting of the stories, which is Edith Jr.'s other brother, John? Lewis. Lewis. Yes. Who, <laughs> worked the, so who worked at the cannery. Who worked at a cannery. So this is Lewis. Why we good? We bounce off each other. Lewis is of the um, same generation as Edith Jr. and Milton. So they were actually kids in what? Like the mid to late 90s? Yeah. So they're actually very contemporary. I think even in Lewis's room, which is quite literally a boat on top of the house that is like decked out in like, we life. <laughs> bringing up the structural integrity of this structure. It's, it's not great. It's not great. Uh, so Lewis probably made it to what his young twenties. I'm thinking early twenties, teens, young twenties, uh, and he. It's implied by Edith Junior's narration that he probably got really depressed just kind of by life. Uh, he didn't like his job at the cannery, but he was really into video games all of their time growing up, and eventually, um, basically, he he sort of spirals down his own imaginary 
abyss Mm -hmm. because his imagination is so vivid and so wild and the game portrays this to you in a fantastic way yes so you are first person as lewis and you are quite literally just running fish into this fish d header and then you have to slide them off onto a conveyor belt and you do that by using the controls i think you use like the right i think it's right stick for this part i think you use the right stick for this part yeah and this is important because you have to keep doing his job you have to keep running these fish into the chopper and then onto the conveyor belt consistently or the fish will back up and then the longer you do this the further along you get in lewis's story which is like a top-down video game it Mm -hmm. actually kind of looks like a dungeon crawler because then with the left stick you're controlling lewis's imaginary character and you're basically running your little dude your little knight or whatever you want to call him through lewis's internal game and it's a fantastic example of his imagination literally taking over the screen because at first his imagination is just a little corner of the game and most of it is the fish in reality Mm -hmm. and by the end of it once you get to the end of the line of his internal story it's the entire screen but you are still having to run the fish because in reality you know they're still in the background Mm -hmm. and it's a really interesting um juxtaposition of having to do two separate things at once it honestly was pretty like at first i got pretty backed up when you're doing the first little bits of trying to escape the labyrinth because it's also nice in how it builds up the difficulty of kind of like of what you have to do because eventually it is just this when it begins it's this little tiny corner on the left side of the screen as you're still seeing him cutting the fish in the main part of the screen but like you said as it goes on it slowly takes over so you're seeing more of his imagination take over the screen eventually the point where you don't even see the fish and you're having to do that based off of the audio cues and even maybe slight vibrational cues like muscle memory muscle basically. memory basically of you what you're doing with the fish faith like assume that yeah. you're doing it right and so but this one i mean like you can tell from his story, like Lewis w- was very troubled and, like you said, had fell into a dep- depression and everything. But how that one ended, I was kind of like, oh. So actually, it's not even Lewis narrating his own story. It's a letter from his therapist right. to his mother. Detailing what happened. Basically trying to explain why Lewis killed himself. Because at the end of Lewis's imaginary story, he gets to basically this state of like he knows and acknowledges that his imagination and his imaginary world is better and more fantastic than anything that he will ever have in real life. Mm -hmm. In fact, he even says that in his imaginary world, he feels that that is his true self, not the Lewis in the real world. So at the end of his story arc, you basically get to this point where you're like, okay, you're going to ascend the throne. You're going to become the master of this realm. All you have to do is accept your crown. So you bow down your head into what is essentially a guillotine. Yeah. And then that it chops off your own head. I mean, I'm assuming you, he stuck and his in head real in his fish. life, he stuck his head in like the fish chopper yeah. and killed himself that way. And it's like, wow, that's a really dark way to explain, you know, sort of losing grip with reality. Mm-hmm. But is it really that sad? Because this is kind of the feeling that I had in a lot of these stories is that Lewis's life sucked. He worked at a gross cannery. He really had no prospects. In his imaginary realm, he was happy, mm-hmm. successful. Is his story bad? That's the thing. Yeah. Like I couldn't like, really There's decide. a lot of dis- discussion of this. Partially for me, especially because Lewis is one of the later stories you discover. At this point, and my only kind of knock against the game, honestly, is at this point, it almost 
it got to a point where some of the things that started happening, I was almost like, this is too ridiculous. You, do you know if that makes sense? Like it was, it was almost like, okay, like I get it. This family's had a really rough go. Why are like, why is it still piling on? Which I know happens in in the real world. Well, so I don't. But think it was it's kind of a thing. On because it I just think kind of felt the- by the end. It, I was kind of like, okay, something terrible is going to happen to this person, and it is it does it. it, it and it was almost this thing of like, it, I knew that was going to happen. And so it lessened its impact for me by the end. Cause I was just like, something terrible is going to happen. Oh yeah. See, I don't, I didn't feel that way at all. Um, I felt very much the opposite of like, yeah, I knew everybody was going to die. That's the point. I knew they but were all going to die thing. too. That's the point. Right. So I feel like I didn't have any, I didn't even really think it was that ridiculous because I feel like the way that this family is meant to basically go extinct is supposed to be really over the top and really bombastic because their life is crazy. Yeah. Their house is crazy. Their history is crazy. That's true. Why wouldn't their individual deaths also all be in their own way? Pretty crazy. So I don't think that I had any problems with that. I very much embraced it. Um, and I think it draws on this broader theme of... In a certain way, I would say that the themes of Edith Finch are interestingly uh kind of lovecraftian because they very much have that feel it's got this idea of like here's this family that is so cursed that they can never escape it and you're not really sure where the curse comes from or why or if it's even a curse or if it's even a curse or if it's just bad luck but i feel like it probably is I feel like the game wants you to believe that there's more to it than just reality. Because the way that some of the characters die, like with example Milton, he does just go missing, and you're not really sure where he went. But what you do see is that in his flip book, he painted himself a door and walked through the door, and no one ever saw him again. Mm -hmm. And then when you're actually in Milton's room, which is full of painted structures, one of them is a painted door, and there are yellow yellow paint prints on the ground leading to the door. Where'd Milton go? Yeah. I mean, did he, his footprints don't lead out the window. That's true. And in the case of, for example, Barbara, nobody really knows what happened to Barbara because in her uh, story, you basically read her life as a comic book because she was a washed out child star who made it to like 16 or mm-hmm. 17. And then she goes somewhere. All they find of her is her ear. Remember? Like, well, it's because just there's her... the home intruder. Yeah, and well, so there's they... a home intruder, yeah. but they never... They never found him. They never all said the, for all sure. They, yeah. All they said for sure is that, well, she's dead. We don't really know where she is. And it's implied that it was sort of this demonic presence that got her. And it's like, maybe it so is. So again, the house. Yeah, again, maybe it's the house. And I feel like that's kind of what the story is trying to tell you, is that it's the house. Because what did they bring with them when they left Norway? The Their house. own freaking house. Which then what they did they use the to build the new house? Parts of the old house. Get it. Of I'm course seeing. you can't get away from your own past. You brought it with you. Right. So I feel like the story is more trying to be like, no, something is definitely following them. And it's kind of their own fault because they brought it with them. But so I didn't necessarily, though. So I understand that. And that does make a lot of <laughs> sense. But the other kind of theme, I guess, that became apparent to me, especially at the end of the game, was maybe see it was maybe like the the curse of the Finches is that they couldn't see past their own like fear of this. Yeah. To enjoy that the lives that they are actually having. I, I and definitely, to enjoy the time that they had 
with those people before they were killed. Yeah, I definitely agree that that is one of the other themes um, of the game because, for example, Edith's mother, Dawn, mm-hmm. she was so obsessed with basically trying to stop her family from dying that it might ultimately be what kind of led to her own death because Dawn arguably made it the longest. Yes. Except for maybe Edith Sr. Edith Sr. Edith Sr. made the it long definitely time. the longest. But um, Dawn, Edie Jr.'s own mother, she made it a long time, and they even left the house. But did the stress of that lead to her death? Because it's implied that she died in a hospital. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was just cancer. Maybe she just got I really sick in old age. Sickness, yeah. But who knows? Maybe it was the lingering effect of believing that you are doomed. That is what doomed her. Didn't allow them to live a full a full life because exactly. they were so obsessed over this. I mean, but you got to hand it to them, like seemingly pretty real curse. Yeah. But they weren't able. And so that's part of the thing, though, But because with when Dawn goes and tries to – she's the one who actually sealed off the rooms, not Edith Sr., mm-hmm. Odin's daughter. Like she's the – Edith Sr. is the one who – they call in the game Edie to help maintain this. So they're not having to call it Edith Jr., Edith Sr. all the time. It's Edie and Edith. Uh, but Edie, they – She's the one who insisted on putting the peepholes so that these these parts of her life and her family's life wouldn't be lost forever. So it's kind of like you kind of see feel like Edith Sr. was the one who was kind of trying to be that guiding light of like, hey, t- stuff happens, but life's still w- wonderful, you know, and like bad things happen and, and tried to help her family see that. But nobody else would be able because they were too in their head, especially Dawn, about going to the extent of, yes, yeah, sealing off rooms and sealing off parts of this house because they just didn't want any memory of what had happened. Yeah, Dawn Which was leads trying to, to why bury Edith the Junior, past. Exactly. Edith Jr. knows nothing of her family. She interacted with Edie Sr., with Edith Sr., but before they left the house, but she was still a young child. So she has, so it basically is like in this way of trying to save her family like dawn robbed her children of this memory of their family and so it, it is this thing i think or that really was just kind her of, one remaining child right because, because at that point lewis dead. and milton were gone and so it really was this thing of i think not focusing so much on the on the the terrible and, and you know and remembering the good and the wonderful that you had with these people my other theory and this is like wild conspiracy theory is that the curse isn't actually a curse it's edith senior because she's the one who keeps memorializing all the family members, and it's implied that she writes stories about them. And remember at the end of the game where they're going through um, Edie's last memory of them in the house, where it's right, the night that right. they left, and Edith Sr. tries to show Edie the story that she wrote about her, about Edie, because it's like, do you know what happened on the day you were born? Or something like that. And Dawn vehemently tries to stop her. So it's like, my other theory is that, is Edith Sr. writing stories about everyone that eventually come true? So I don't know. Maybe Edith Sr.'s accidentally, like, they, killing people. I don't know if they were it's coming true. It's wild conspiracy theory. I was just like, maybe she's the curse. Maybe. But I don't know if that one necessarily, to me, rings true as true. Because, especially with Sven, remember, he was trying to build that slide. Oh, that was, yeah. like, shaped like the dragon. And it yeah. falls and kills him. Obviously, because no one knows how to build a damn house. I mean, he had the most... A realistic death. Yeah. Like he just died in a construction accident. It's like, yeah. But then she wrote it as he died fighting a dragon. And so I'm wondering if she just, to make it less painful, she like thought of these ways. Maybe so. That's probably more accurate. I just wanted to be like, what if it is her? I know. That's true. That's true. I mean, I'm sure. Let's make a whole video breakdown of of why it's Edith Finch Sr. Of why all these terrible things are happening. So really, 
this that's pretty much the the main depth of it is that as you go through this game uncovering all these different secrets and uncovering the past of the family and you, you know i i believe it's one of those games too it's very much is one that allows you to kind of make your own like we both have somewhat different opinions on what the game means and what the game's about and i think that's one of the strong points of this game is it really leaves that open to interpretation but the one thing that i did think was very Interesting, the final twist, really, of the game, which is, so if you don't want this spoiled, we alluded to this earlier, if you don't want this spoiled, skip forward for a few seconds here, but the main twist of the game is that it's revealed at the end, it's not, you're, you're actually kind of playing as Edith Jr.'s son, because it was revealed midway through the game that she's pregnant at the point, and that she actually died in childbirth with her son. Yep. So... And you're, and then it shows the final shot of the game really is her, the sun at her memorial tombstone at the house. Exactly. So that opening scene then on the boat of like the person with the cast, that was her son. Mm-hmm. And then when he opens the book to that blank family tree, the narration begins with Edie Jr. And that's sort of what you play as. But ultimately, you are the boy experiencing the story told from his mother's perspective. Right. So, it, I mean, it's implied that Edie is not, not implied, Edie wasn't the last of the Finches then. She thought she might be because she wasn't sure if she would make it to be able to actually birth her son. But there is one more left. There's whatever the son's name is. I can't remember. And I don't think it says. But also, it, <coughs> depending on how you look at it, she has now broken and made the broken the curse in a sense in that she actually like here her son now is prepared to step into life knowing exactly what happened to her family to his family and also now has the discernment from Edith Jr's journal to know that like to see to enjoy the things of life to to you know learn about your family regardless of how terrible like some past instances have been you know and to really just enjoy the time and the things that you have that's what i took anyway see even Is with it kind of that, like breaks the cycle see i don't think so i don't think that it broke the cycle because edie intentionally brought him back to the house even in her death by writing about it and telling him to go home mm. she brought him back she could have just birthed him and let it go. Yeah. And that would have been breaking the cycle. But because she redirected him back home, I feel like it's more a, a thing of like, oh, okay, the curse is going to keep going. But so see, even though she may have broken the cycle of, I don't even think that people like weren't able to enjoy life. I think they did. I mean, Edie Sr. and Sven, the ones that made it pretty long, yeah. except for Dawn. Dawn was the only one that uh, was that's obsessed what I was say. with I trying what... to avoid it. Right, and I think that's where my my viewpoint of the game comes from is more because it was you are hearing it from Edith Jr., so you are hearing the very heavily influenced version of things from that she got from Dawn. And so I feel like that's where it was more – I feel like she broke the cycle in that way. Maybe not so much in the curse if she did send her, her son back to the house. But also Dawn sent her back empty-handed. Yeah. Edith sent her back – sent her son back fully prepared to know what was what's happened. See, even that though, Dawn is the one that took them away from the house. And when she died – even Dawn sent Edie back. Yeah. So that kind of mm. reinforces this idea of, I don't think it's their choice. I think something supernatural compels them to return to the house. So even when they try to leave, even when they do successfully leave, something ultimately brings them back. That's what like reinforces the idea for me that like it's the house. Yeah. The house has something in it or it is its own thing and it keeps bringing them back maliciously. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. That's what I think is going on. Very cool. Wrap up. Impression, like, what'd you think? How'd you enjoy it? Recommend to others? Loved it. 
10 out of 10 would recommend, if only because it is such an amazing example of really unique and compelling storytelling. This isn't cinematic. It's really good storytelling. And it won a lot of awards for best narrative, I think, in 2017, and it deserves them. So if you want... it's. Like reading a book almost. It really is because the game like shows every bit of Edith's narration, which I thought was a great bit. It like it works out well with the game itself, but also to make it more accessible to all players, it shows the text for literally it shows you text for literally everything that is said in the game. And I think that was great. It's a fantastic example of just really tight writing, great storytelling, and a a story that you actually want to play through, even if you feel like you know what's gonna happen. Mm -hmm. So I would definitely recommend it. Especially that it's short and free. Yeah, I mean, this is for, probably for now, like the last weekend that you can probably get it right because it was the yes, because it's game. May. So actually, by the time this is out, it's it's done. Like, you uh. can't get it. and you can get the two new games actually, which are Sonic Mania. And oh, really? Blood uh, Borderlands. Oh, the first Borderlands and yeah, Sonic Mania. Those I'll are the free Sonic PS Mania. Plus games for this for the month of June. So for me, I agree. Excellently well done game. I had really no uh, qualms other than the the one bit that I brought up where I was kind of like, okay, like it's it's getting a little in my head, like it was kind of tipping the scale of believability where I'm like, okay, this is kind of getting rid- a little ridiculous, but I really only had that moment once. Like, but I think before Lewis's story, then I played Lewis's story and I was like, okay, bringing it back. It's kind of grounding this all for me. Um, but in general, the game is not one necessarily that I think clicks to me as well. I really enjoyed it. Do I think it's like my top 10 game? No, <laughs> but still I re- I can see it for what it is. So because even though, it wasn't one that necessarily clicks for me. I see and agree with everything you're saying. So I completely agree. Like 10 out of 10. Like it was a really, like it was very well done and very well packaged for the story that it gives. And even when it's not free, like if you're not able to get it on PS plus this month, um, it's still not expensive. It's an older indie game by now. You can get it on a bunch of different platforms and it's not that much. It's gotta be what less than 15 15 bucks. bucks, yeah. Yeah. So, so great game. Let us know what you think of what remains of Edith Finch. We'd love to hear all and get involved either on the Discord or in the comments of like what we all think the game means and what it's true. Conspiracy theories. Yeah, exactly. We want to dig dig deep into this game because this one is really one that benefits a lot from and like really lends itself well to being one that you can theorize on for a long time. Critical thinking. Critical thinking. Use those those thinking caps. Often get to use. (laughs) We used to say in school, put on your thinking cap, you know, and think. Analyze the problems and the stories and themes of what remains of Edith Finch. But before we go, we do have to do our soundtrack spotlight, which we're going to focus on music from what remains of Edith Finch. We're bringing you the main theme. This one, though, you know, we don't really touch on the soundtrack that much because this game is one that didn't necessarily lend itself to having a very good soundtrack. I mean, it does have a very good soundtrack. Uh, let me be clear on that. It was very peaceful, just like more ambient tones underlying. It wasn't meant to be one that really drives the action and pushes the story for right. like some other soundtracks that we feature. So it is just more soothing, ambient, relaxing. But we're going to bring you the main track from the main theme from What Remains of Edith Finch, composed by Jeff Russo. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to us and joining us for this episode of Team Chat Podcast. Come back next week for another great episode on another fun gaming topic. And also, don't forget to follow us on all the social media Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Check us out on our Patreon page. We would love to support. Thank you again, Joey, and all of our other patrons for your support of the show. We'll see you all next time. Stick around for the song.